Hey, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to the Mad Tales podcast. I'm James Knoll, and I'm recording this on Tuesday, July 30th, 2019, in my teeny tiny studio in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So, a quick pitch to you, my awesome worldwide fans, before we get on to the third short story in this season of the Mad Tales podcast. Today is the day the wounded, the sick, and the dead is out now in paperback and ebook form. I've extended the Lucky 13 collection pre order price through today. So if you buy The Wounded, the Sick, and the Dead on my site, you will get a signed paperback copy sent to you in the mail, a digital copy sent to you in your email, and on September 27th, 2019, the full audiobook version, which includes two novellas that I will not be releasing on my podcast, Bonesaw vs. the Militarized Robotic Death Werewolf, which, if I'm being completely honest, is my favorite title ever, and the sequel to that, Bonesaw's Baby. These two novellas are set in the same world as another novel of mine, which is the first in a three-part series. That novel is called The Rabbit, the Jaguar, and the Snake. I am right now writing or drafting the sequel to The Rabbit, the Jaguar, and the Snake, and that one is called Blood and Gold. Um, but anyways, just thought I'd throw that in there. This character has been seen before. In fact, actually, this character was in a prior release, a Mad Tales podcast release, uh, the first time I ever wrote about him. He was in the Unholy Triumvirate, so you can check that out to see how that guy talks and to see where his story begins. If you go to www.jamesknoll.net forward slash WSD, you can order all three of the Wounded, the Sick, and the Dead versions, that is the signed paperback, the ebook, and the audiobook, for only $9.99. The price will go up to $24.99 on Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. That's it. That's my pitch. The next story that you're about to listen to is the sequel to Salvation, a story I first aired on this webcast or on this podcast on June 4th, 2019. And here's an interesting note. Salvation was the first short story that I ever wrote. I wrote it in my freshman year in college, 20 Nine years ago, sitting in Russell Dorm in my dorm room at Mary Washington College and typing away on my brother electric typewriter. Anyways, my uh, my neighbors, my next door neighbors uh, in the house where I grew up, uh, Pat and Warren uh, gave that typewriter to me for graduating from high school. And I wrote and rewrote that thing on the family home computer, which was a Commodore Amiga which was really only good for word processing and pay, playing Defender of the Realm. Um, and I almost called this STD. It's not STD. Uh, SDI, which was a, a science fiction game. Uh, anyways, I wrote that thing over and over again, confident that it was a good idea. But I wasn't confident enough to publish it on my own until I put it out as a part of my first collection, which is A Knife in the Back, in 2013. I always wanted to revisit the witch girl in her post-apocalyptic cult village. And when I was writing new stories for my customized short story service in 2017, I thought, what a cool way to pop in and say hi to her again. So thanks again for all the feedback and all of the listens. If you feel like leaving me a review, please go to whatever directory you're using, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, etc., any of those, and leave me an honest review if they allow you to leave reviews. All right, 
I'm going to stop dinning your ears for now. Here is this week's story. The Deepest Cuts. Dudley sat in the middle of a clearing, the smoke from an earth oven trickling out of the stones he put on top to keep the heat in. He waited until the moon settled high in the sky, bright and clear, before lighting the fire to cook his dinner, just like his sister, Max, taught him. Smoke is harder to spot in the middle of the night. They'll catch you if you're not careful. Speaking of careful, Dudley was in the middle of his latest project, a spear carved out of a branch. The process seemed simple enough, but he couldn't get the point as sharp as he wanted to without clipping it off, or even worse, slicing his hand. His left thumb bore the brunt of the damage. It was so covered with scars that it was amazing that he could even grip anything anymore. He whittled away at the branch, whispering, one and two and three and four. His sister showed him that trick, too. Get into a rhythm, she said. Use eighth notes, forward on a one, back on the and. And it worked. At least until the rhythm lulled him into carelessness and the knife slipped. Ouch, he said sticking the heel of his hand into his mouth. Ouchies, ouchies, ouchies! When the bleeding stopped, he picked up his backpack and dug around inside, searching for the band-aids and jar of antibacterial ointment he always kept in the front pocket. Where were they? Had he run out? That wouldn't surprise him. Things like this were always happening to him. He was focusing so hard on digging around in his bag that he didn't hear the twig snap behind him. What you looking for? Dudley stood up with a jolt, clutching his half-finished spear and his backpack to his chest. There, just on the edge of the clearing, stood a little girl. She was wearing a plain white dress, and her hair was fastened up in a bun on top of her head. You lost, mister? No, I mean, yes. I don't know who you are. The girl smiled. No? That's good. She looked around the clearing. You all alone out here? Yes, no. I see. She frowned. It would have been a lot better for you if you wasn't. She whistled and three dark forms stepped out of the woods. You like my pets? the girl asked. No, yes, I mean, I see them, now. They're good boys. Trained them myself. Want to see their tricks? And before he could respond, she whistled again, and the three moved for him as one. Dudley couldn't help what happened next. It was instinct, pure instinct. He turned and ran. He wasn't thinking about his mission. He wasn't thinking about his sister. He wasn't thinking about anything other than getting away. It was the one thing he was good at, running. The trees on the other side of the clearing were only twenty feet away. He could cross that distance in a few seconds and lose them in the darkness. Max would be so proud of him. Unfortunately, he forgot about the earth oven and the sticks on which his dinner was cooking. He took one step, crashed through the top, and spiked his foot on one of them. He cried out as he fell forward, dropping the makeshift spear in front of him and landing right on the tip. It didn't really matter that he was a novice when it came to spear sharpening— and it didn't really matter that the backpack he clutched to his chest was made out of triple-ply canvas. 
All that mattered was the weight of his body, 15 stone of meat and bone generating a total force of about 1,200 pounds, and the spear that pierced the bag and impaled him right through the sternum. Two weeks later, Max lay at the bottom of a life raft, her skin raw, her lips cracked. Never could she have predicted such an abrupt turn in her life. But then again, never could she have predicted the collapse of the governments of the world, followed by the end of civilization in general. Or maybe she could have. She'd watched enough movies on the same topic to know how it might occur. The swiftness with which it happened, however, was more than a little disconcerting. The sun beat down, relentless and unforgiving, draining her, frying her, leaving her little more than a sunburned husk. The raft itself was as bleached as bone, wrinkled from the loss of air. A pump lay next to her desiccated thigh, but she had barely enough strength to raise her water bottle, let alone try to reinflate again. What was the point, anyway? The air would only leak out. She thought about the last time she'd spoken to anybody. It was three weeks before, a few days after Dudley was supposed to return. D.C. took her aside to explain her role in the attack. We'll drop you off less than a mile from the shore, he said. It'll take about two days for you to find the cove. Two days? Give or take. Give or take? What does that mean? Maybe a week. Max gave him a look. It's the ocean, Max. I can't predict everything. Yeah, well, there's a huge difference between two days and a week. D.C. sighed and ran a hand through his long hair. Look, I know it's a bit of a risk. A bit of a risk? Okay, it's a huge risk. But you know what's at stake. I know. Do, do you think he... Dudley's fine. I shouldn't have let him go. Why did you even offer it to him? We've talked about this before. You know how he is. You Dudley is a grown man, Max. I know, but you can't take care of him his entire life. Max folded her arms across her chest. She knew he was right, but didn't want to admit it. D.C. put his hands on her shoulders. Look, he's fine. I'm telling you, he's probably just lost. He better be. I'll find him. He'll have a map of the fence and the town perimeter all ready to go. Max waited a moment before saying, The beacon won't fail. It's sewn into the canvas. The only way it'll fail is if someone takes it out and smashes it or if you sink. Either way, by that point you won't care, unless you've got some magic pockets in your cargo shorts. She did actually have a magic pocket, more like a secret pocket, one that she sewed herself into the inner lining of the right leg. She said, and once I'm inside, you're the distraction, so distract. Yeah, but after, just wait for the gunshots. You'll know it's us. Everything went according to plan at first. They dropped her a mile away from the cove, showed her which way to paddle. But that night a storm kicked up, nothing huge, but enough to spin her around and make her lose her bearings. She lost the paddle. A wave washed half her supplies overboard. By morning, she could no longer see the shore. Twenty-six days. That's how long she'd been adrift. Three and a half weeks. Six hundred and twenty-four hours. Not that she was counting. In all honesty, she wasn't really sure anymore. After the twelfth moon, she gave up any hope of being rescued. Twenty-six days, thirty-six days, what did it matter? She was dead alive, an empty vessel. She closed her eyes and waited. For what she didn't know. Night? Rain, sharks, anything to kill the monotony. That evening, as the merciless sun finally began to dip toward the horizon, Max thought about her childhood, how she and her friends used to play outside, the endless laughter. The memory was so vivid that she actually thought she heard the sound of them squealing with joy, shouting to each other, the soundtrack of summer evenings and fall playgrounds. If she had any water left in her body, she would have wept. Then the sounds merged with something different, something more urgent, Shouts and cries of dismay, and at first she ignored them, thinking they were just another hallucination. 
Which was why, when she first heard those cries, when she felt the shadow pass between her and the setting sun, and when the hands lifted her body from the deflated life raft, she couldn't believe it. It was just a trick. And rather than thank her rescuers and weep for joy, she laughed and laughed and laughed until she passed out again, certain it was all just in her mind. This is our turn to crush the crap. We can live to start the next few years. Track the hotlines, there's a place there. Release me, I can feel a thing. Pull it in, it brings me down. Max woke up in a cool, dark room, lying on a comfortable bed and covered in a clean white sheet. There were a few bloodstains on it from her sores, probably because the sheet tucked her so tightly to the mattress that it acted like a straitjacket. A wet rag had been left on her forehead, dribbling water into her eyes, and she was amazed at the sight of her shorts. Her rescuers, whoever they were, had left them on. There were bandages on her arms and hands, and her stomach was wrapped in gauze. She took the cloth off her forehead. "'Whoa there, ma'am,' a voice said. "'Don't strain yourself too much. You've been in a terrible mess.' It was a little girl. She stood with her back turned to the bed and was wringing something out in a china basin. There were others in the room, too, three forms standing completely still on the back, their faces shrouded in darkness. The girl caught her looking and chuckled. <laughs> That's just my boys. They just got done with your friends. Friends? Oh, don't pretend like you don't know. That'd be embarrassing for both of us. Max sat up and untucked the sheet all the way. She wanted to see her feet, how badly they were burned. They were bandaged and where they weren't bandaged, her skin was slick with a greasy salve. She looked like she had tried to walk on the sun itself. She swung her legs over the side of the bed and saw stars. Easy there, the girl said. The three forms took a stiff step forward, and she whistled at them, a short, curt burst. <whistles> they stopped. Then she bustled around and put her hand on Max's back. You okay? Dizzy. I don't doubt it. Mayor Bram says you must have been out in the ocean for at least three weeks. Felt longer. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of summer, too? Now just you lie back down, okay? You're safe now, but the worst ain't over yet. N no, I have to go. The girl smiled. Where do you think you're going? I, I need to. She caught herself. Jesus. She'd almost given it all away. She needed to be careful. What do you need to do? The girl watched her with a furrowed brow. Max pretended to be confused. I, uh... A fever rolled through her body and it was just like she was back in that horrible raft, the sun pouring its heat down, and she was falling, falling into darkness, but then a cold compress was placed on her forehead, and the illusion broke, and she opened her eyes in the cool, dark room. The girl wiped her brow with the cloth. You don't need to worry about none of that. Don't you know where you are? Max shook her head. You in salvation, and we gonna take care of you. A kernel of panic tickled Max's belly. My raft. Did they have it? Did they find the beacon? The girl laughed. <laughs> Raft? You mean that old piece of scrunched up garbage? Where is it? I need it. You about as attached to that thing as you are them shorts, huh? We tried to get them off, but you fought us. Even my three couldn't do it. Wasn't doing you no harm. Probably protected your skin, so... What's so special about them anyway? Max thought fast. They're all I have left, from before. The girl seemed to consider this. Oh, I get it. I'll check around for your raft. I bet someone picked it up. Hopefully they ain't tore it apart yet. Tore it apart? Oh, yeah. You should see what washes up in the cove. 
Clothes, shoes, furniture, food. The girl looked pointedly at Max. We reuse everything we find. There were two windows in the room, one facing Max from the foot of the bed and one to her left. The girl went over to the window at her feet and drew the curtains aside. Though it was dark out, a warm orange glow shone through the slats of the blinds. Nice night, the girl said. She drew up a seat next to the bed, opened a drawer in the nightstand, and pulled out a tray. It was silver, polished to a high sheen. Strange markings circled it in concentric lines, characters from an ancient language. She put the tray on the nightstand and pulled out more things from the drawer. Vials and brushes, flat oval containers, an emery board, nail clippers. You gonna give me a makeover? Max asked. It's all part of the deal. What deal? The girl arranged her tools, humming to herself. Oh, you know, we didn't use to do it this way. It was a lot more rudimentary. Do what? The girl whirled her finger in the air. All this. She picked up Max's hand and started to shape her nails. Max stayed silent, trying to quell the fear in her belly. Think, Max, think. She was supposed to be a distraction. So what's your name? She asked. Oh, I've been called a lot of things. Mama said she knew what I was the minute I was born. You gonna be something special, girl. And that's what she called me. Girl? Your name is Girl. Better than what they named my brother. What's his name? Rufus. Max couldn't help it. She laughed out loud. I agree that Rufus isn't the greatest name. Wait till you meet him. You got a brother? Max didn't say anything. The warm glow on the other side of the window grew brighter. Girl caught her looking, and when she turned to see what it was, she scraped the emery board over her knuckle. Max pulled her hand away with a hiss, and Girl snatched it back. Don't. Don't ever do that. She resumed her work. What's that glow? Max asked. You know what Rufus means? It means red-haired. Which is funny because Rufus has some of the blackest hair I ever seen. Give me your other hand. Don't scrape that one, okay? That's what you're worried about? Max was too shocked to respond. Should she be worried about something else? Girl pointed at her hand. You gonna give it to me? Max did, and she set to work, a little rougher this time. So that's it? Max asked. Girl? That's what they call you. Well... If you ask dumb old Jimmy Waltz, I'm sure he could come up with a whole bunch of things you could call me, but I wouldn't listen to him if I was you. Not exactly best friends? Girl gave her a look as she finished shaping her nails. Then she rested each hand back in place next to her legs. Anyway, nobody calls me girl anymore. Not after my first notice and all. After that, they call me the witch. Phew, Max thought. They're nuttier than we thought. The girl, or the witch, or whatever she wanted to be called, rearranged some of her tools. We gonna wait before I do your cuticles. Max tried not to panic. Where were DC and the others? She should have heard the gunshots by now. Girl saw the expression on her face and cocked her head. What's the matter, Maxine? You don't look so good. It's just... How did you know my name? Oh, honey. That's the first thing he told us. She opened up the nightstand drawer again and took out a strange-looking instrument. It looked kind of like a pen, only instead of a ballpoint where the ink came out, there was a blade. Then she took out another tool, a handle with a sharp hook on the end. It looked like the kind of thing that Max used to see in her dentist's office, back when there were dentists. She felt the sudden urge to hop out of bed and flee, get as far from this place as possible. She summoned her strength. Could she reach into her shorts fast enough? Could she get it out in time? He? Oh yeah, your boy, D.C. Found him about a week ago wandering around out by fence line with some of your people. Armed to the teeth, as my daddy used to say. Try to give us some business about being lost, looking for the road back to the city. 
She went over to the other window, the one to Max's left, and grabbed the cord to the blinds. She didn't pull them up immediately. Seemed to need to take a moment before she continued. Finally, she said, Nobody wants to go into the city anymore. Not these days. Not with them things in there. Everybody knows that. Then she pulled, and the blinds shot up, and Max's eyes went wide. Scaffolds. At least a dozen of them. All on fire in the big yard outside the window. Each one with a dark form hanging in the center. Girl watched the fear spread across her face and smiled. Her teeth are perfect, Max thought, big and white. You like that? The girl asked. We did it special for you. She sat back down and patted Max's hand. See, the only people we ever find out in the woods come to salvation for a reason. It might not be the reason they thought they were coming for, but we can't hardly be to blame for that. Please, I don't know. We used to just lay them out flat and get to work. Not anymore. Now we like to pretty them up first. Provide one last bit of comfort. Makes everybody feel better, you know. Max let her hand wander down to her leg. She'd only have a few seconds. She'd have to distract the crazy girl, though. Tears. She'd start to cry. Could she do it? Drum up tears from nothing? She closed her eyes. Think. Think. About something sad. She took in a sharp breath, willed the tears to form. And miraculously, they did. Oh, don't cry, the girl said. Lord knows you don't need your body where you're going. Deepest cuss ain't all this physical stuff anyway. And you're almost done with that part. She turned to the tray to look for something, and that's when Max acted. Reached into her shorts, found the secret pocket, the one in which she hid her knife. It was a little knife, a pen knife, really, but it was sharp, and it would do the job. But it was gone. The girl turned around. She was holding the knife, pincing it between her thumb and forefinger like it was a disgusting thing. Looking for something? Please, I... Shut up now, here. She opened the knife up and inspected the blade. You keep this nice and sharp, don't you? Girl, listen. Girl whistled, and the three forms in the back moved as one. This my favorite part, she said. You'd be smart not to ruin it. Release me. I can't go away. The promise you bring. Release me. I can pull you in. The promise today. Hey, hey. Everybody, thanks again for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you are enjoying all of the new stories. If you are interested in buying The Wounded, The Sick, and The Dead, it will be available in digital and paperback on Tuesday, August 27. If it's past that, if you're listening to this past that, it's already available. You can pre-order it on my website, jamesnoll.net forward slash WSD. So that's J-A-M-E-S-N-O-L-L dot net forward slash WSD. If you pre-order it, or if you've missed the pre-order and you just want to order it afterwards, you get the digital copy, a signed paperback, mailed to you, and when the audiobook is complete, I will send you a digital copy of that as well. So, the Wounded, the Sick, and the Dead package is $9.99 right now for the pre-order, and the price will go up on the release day, which is Tuesday, August 27, 2019. You can check that out if you're interested in getting it at jamesnoll.net forward slash WSD once again. So thanks again for listening. You guys are awesome. Please keep on sending me feedback and hopefully you'll check out all the stuff at my website. 
or support me on my uh, Mad Tales Patreon. And a bit about the Patreon. There are three different levels of supports. You can give me a dollar a month for however long you want, and I will give you a thank you and a shout-out on the podcast. Uh, you can give me $5 a month for however long you want, and not only do you get a thank you and a shout-out, but I will also give you access for as long as you are supporting me uh, to all of my eBooks and all of the audio. That includes the audiobooks and the music. And you can get that in the users area of the Mad Tales Patreon account or Patreon account or however you want to pronounce that. And then there is a $10 level. The $10 level gives you both the $1 level and the $5 level prizes. And you also get your own short story from my personalized, my customized short story service. If you are interested in any of that, you need to go to patreon.com forward slash Mad Tales. So thanks once again and tune in next week for a new short story.